everyone to episode 239 of the Better Beatles 2 podcast, which features David and Ben. And it's the holiday Christmas season. And that means only one thing, one thing, only one thing. If RTD is show running and that would be a Christmas special. <laughs> Indeed. And, right. our, yeah. and we have a Christmas special after. <laughs> when was the last uh, one? We should know because we're doing a podcast on it. But. Since 2017 was our last Christmas special. So what? That's five years. Wow. Five years. Five years. Five years. That's that's sick. Or yes, that's ridiculous. <laughs> Time for a new one. All right, it's back on Christmas Day. Um, I believe, looking at the internet, that it was the third most watched program in the UK. Well, I can understand why because it was pretty darn good. I pretty much enjoyed it. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, it was. Um, it was. It was. <laughs> it was a new doctor. Yeah, um, very much so. And um, I think the last time we had a new doctor introduced at a Christmas special was Tennant, right? Indeed, yeah. And that was yeah, what the old... 20... 2006? That's it. With those blood sucking magical sycoraks in their flying mountain. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, now they've been replaced by baby eating goblins in a, <laughs> in a flying galleon of some kind. So you know, mm-hmm. same old, same old, basically. Yeah. And it, and I guess instead of space monsters, these are time monsters, right? The, the goblins. That's, yeah, they, they're yeah. time time Bimbling. bimblers or whatever. Time bimblers, yeah, bimbly wimbly. I think yeah. that's the new <laughs> the new phrase we're going to have to use. Bimbly wimbly. Yes. Okay. <laughs> um. Yes. I mean, so. Where do you want to start? A uh, new doctor, new goblins, music, new companion. How about at the very beginning? We see uh, it's a very good place to start. Shooty at a club, you know, not since the Inferno in the War Games have we seen the Doctor at a nightclub. Have have we? Yeah, he doesn't go to nightclubs very often. <laughs> <laughs> Let's face it. Yeah, I mean, last time when he was a young Doctor, yeah, it was it was at the Inferno and he was grooving. Mm-hmm. Grooving away. Um, I could have done actually with more shooty at the club. Actually, um, I was expecting something more, um, uh, more dance. I mean, he was dancing around in his kilt, which mm-hmm. is awesome. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I, I think the you know obviously the what we're supposed to take from this is this is a new doctor. He is unencumbered with the angst of uh, the old doctor. Time war or whatever. Yeah, he's given all that stuff up. This is not the the Eccleston time war new doctor. This is the shooty Gatwa new doctor and he is full of life and full of joy and full of happiness and uh, is just slinking around dancing about in the club having a good time as he should be he's enjoying life enjoying life yeah it was kind of kind of weird because i guess the first scene was him looking at uh ruby's band or watching ruby's band and then it was the nightclub where ruby saw him dancing in the whole scene with the gin and tonic and sonic paper right so kind of a weird introduction for a companion slash doctor yeah the doctor is, is is he's kind of he's kind of in the background um mm-hmm. uh I, i'm going to say lurking but lurking is the wrong word just sort of in the background watching he's an observer he's taking his time he is also taking time to enjoy himself mm-hmm. as we know you know his favorite planet is earth and his favorite time of earth's history is as usual now 
right. uh, rather than at any other particular time. I'm, I'm sure he's gone to clubs, you know. In... <laughs> Unless he's Hartnell, who just has a hankering for the French Revolution. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> Which, let's face it, there's some great nightclubs in the, in the French, <laughs> during the French Revolution. Um, and, uh, yeah, he's observing, he's observing the bad luck that is, I mean, presumably, you know, the vibe I'm getting here is that, you know, he has a feeling some, he has a vibe that something is up Mm -hmm. and therefore he is waiting and watching and seeing what that thing is. And it's goblins, of course. (laughs) Goblins. It's, it's interesting. I think that RTD is leaning pretty heavily onto Chibnall's new continuity of the doctor being adopted, doctor being being a foundling and pairing him up with a companion that has perhaps a similar mysterious background. And we have Ruby with no genetic link in the world, which uh, it reminds me of how Amy had her mystery and Clara had her mystery. So once again, we have a, a woman companion that's the mysterious woman. And let's go straight into to, to my pet theory is that the woman who leaves um leaves ruby ruby sunday at the church on uh, ruby road is herself hmm. so we have a, a loop uh, she's a bootstrap yes that's mm-hmm. why she has no genetic connection to anyone else in the world because she is just she's a closed circle but that's just my theory mm-hmm. um i mean it could be anything else um it, that was really nicely christmassy indeed much better than a runaway bride <laughs> exactly there's a, there's, a, there's a mysterious child um, it's all snowy. There's an actual church, which is nice. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, you're right. She's a mysterious companion uh, in the tradition of mysterious companions. And I think RTD is setting up some things that we're curious about um, that we will mm-hmm. that will be a payoff at the end. I just hope, and I think he's he's got far better form. I think in delivering payoffs that are satisfying than Moffat, who I always felt was like, okay, I'm going to set up this thing. I'm no, I no idea how I'm going to resolve it. I'll just resolve it somewhere at the end. I think RTD is kind of better at that. So I'm um, looking forward to seeing these things settled. There's going to be more emotional strings that RTD is uh, going to be strumming or pulling or <laughs> manipulating for the audience. Yeah, yeah, and and actually, I mean, and to go back to your point about the kind of chip stuff. I liked that that is being acknowledged as something that happened, mm-hmm. and I also like that the complexity of what happened is kind of being ignored for the emotion of what happened you see what i mean Mm -hmm. um so there's no like ah it's your mother and the time lords and and the thingy what was the thing that they're all members of can't remember um there 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 all that kind of like continuity rubbish has is is Mm -hmm. like put to one side and what is brought forward is the doctor is adopted um, the Doctor was a foundling. Mm-hmm. The Doctor has sympathy for those kind of people because he is that kind of person as well. He's alone. And I think that's a nice way to kind of bring the Doctor back to his, they, um, her original um, original origins, which I like. I think it worked well as a clean reboot. Yes. Effectively what this is, it's a clean clean cut. It's allowing, I think, a, a viewer to jump on with, there was nothing in there that you needed to know any kind of prior Doctor Who. Right, uh, the, right. The Doctor is a time traveler. The Doctor has a TARDIS or a blue box. Um, jumping very, very to the end to the uh, mid credit scene, 
while they were rolling credits, they had the scene with Mrs. Flood and Abdul on the street where she breaks the fourth wall and says, right. hey, haven't you seen the TARDIS before? It was also an interesting way of telling the audience, the new audience, that that blue box was called a TARDIS. So it, it wasn't ham-fisted in, in any kind of way of... Uh, lacing in and weaving in the story's continuity. Absolutely. I, I thought it was, in, by and large, very expertly written, as it should be, because, you know, we have an expert writer in charge mm-hmm. and was a a good, uh, it was, a, I think it was a satisfying reboot, reboot for new fans. And I think it was a satisfying reboot for old fans. I think there was enough stuff in there for us to enjoy. I've us being like you people like you and me mm-hmm. um and i think there was enough in there for people who you know are like tuning in for the first time on disney plus to a new show and okay this is what it's about i think it was also very successful as a christmas special just if you were a casual viewer watching doctor who only once a year at christmas time i think it was an enjoyable uh hours worth of television yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was. I said we've already said you know it was Christmassy. Yeah, there was a Christmas proper Christmas carol. There was a church. There was a baby. Um, there were yeah, yeah. Uh, snow. There was snow. <laughs> there were pantomime villains, um, which were what goblins are. Um, and yeah. there was a a pantomime chief villain, the Goblin King, mm-hmm. which all fits with a British Christmas. And um, I mean, they even kind of got the weather right, which I've always. I always kind of am interested, especially in kind of with, British... With the, with the sky. The yeah, sky the, seemed wintry. The sky seemed cold. The trees were denuded of leaves. They obviously either did that all with CGI or they shot it actually in in, in the winter season, which is, which, is, which is as it should be. I mean, I'm always amused by previous, you know, I, I think the worst example is The Runaway Bride, um, where the trees are, are in full leaf <laughs> in Cardiff, which is not... The case if it's Christmas, right, uh, right? All the leaves will have fallen off the trees. Um, I'm always, I'm always observing things like that. Yeah, yeah. It, it, well, he also, well, they, blah, 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 the production team was uh, conservative in that they limited the Christmas exteriors to one location. Everything else was interiors that they could set dress with Christmas lights, garlands, and that type of stuff. So the, uh, things at the club, things in the the flat, they were all Christmassy, but you could control that very easily by dressing an enclosed set rather than trying to have the entire city of London be <laughs> Christmassy. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, yeah, no, all, all, all very, all, all very good in that way. All we needed mm-hmm. was like a Christmas pudding or something. Um, um, actually, Christmas puddings would be good. Monsters would be good. Would be good monsters, yeah, because we've had killer <laughs> Santas. We've had killer Christmas trees. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, Christmas puddings. Anyway, uh, that's an idea for the future, RTD. You can have that one for free. I think also from reading about how this was produced, Disney screen tested this story and they had a suggestion. And that suggestion was the whole scene at the very early bit with the uh, falling snowman uh, store decoration or street decoration. Right. That was Disney's suggestion. And... It added an early scene where you could see Shooty as the doctor interacting with uh, the plebs, I guess. And it was humorous with the lady with the pram and the police officer 
kind of gives them that uh, Sherlock Holmesian vibes, making right. observations. We got to we like that. Got a neat introduction to the Sonic. The Sonic seemed to work for Shooty. It had a kind of a blue glow. It also worked very well with uh, the wrong kind of science or the wrong kind of uh, technology with uh, rope technology and goblins. It was a, another twist on wood. You know, you needed uh, something to unscrew and instead of untie. So maybe we need the uh, Sonic uh, not untie or something. So Sonic untying device. No, I, 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 again, obviously, I, I only found one only found out about the fact that that scene was added in at Disney's suggestion kind of post-factum, um, mm-hmm. I thought it was pretty seamless. It didn't read as something that was an extra, and, you know, it was a really good introduction to the Doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, what what I'm curious about is when we say, like, Disney suggested it, who at Disney suggests these things? I'm, I mean, I'm really curious about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, it's done remotely, because, right. I mean, a Disney live in California, right? Um, and RTD lives in Cardiff, I think. Mm-hmm. And I'm just, yeah, I, I said, I, I would love to have more information about that. Yeah, my guess is they had, uh, Disney probably has test audiences around the world in their critical markets, and they, they Bad Wolf gave them the completed uh, or the rough cut, and they cut. Mm-hmm. had audiences or viewer, potential viewers watch it, and they were taking notes and that was what they suggested and where i see it as positive is with these modern showrunners uh rtd chibnall and moffat there isn't anyone to say no and there isn't anyone to say this doesn't work and now with disney over overseeing things or at least giving notes or input i think that might be a positive where there's somebody higher up the chain or some, or at least a co-investor uh, in the production saying this doesn't work for us or we think this would work better it, it can be a negative it can just make it entirely commercial but you know it also i think strengthened this particular story yeah i'd, I'd love to be one of those test audiences that sounds really super fun <laughs> um i don't know how i don't know how you how you get to be that but yeah it is interesting you know, when you hear about test audiences mm-hmm. and when, you know, when the concept of it's screened before a test audience, they didn't like it. So we changed it. That narrative is always a narrative that makes things worse. Mm-hmm. And I think it's kind of interesting that, that this particular narrative about a test audience actually made it better. Yeah. And I, I think I think you, you kind of hit the nail on the head when you say, well, actually, maybe part of some of the issues with with who over the past decade or so has been that there's only one person in charge and that person says, and they're also basically the writer as well. And uh, whatever they write is what goes on the screen. There's no one to say, well, this doesn't work that well. Mm -hmm. And I think a test audience, yeah, great. I mean, if they, they were smart enough to say, to come up with a suggestion for a new scene like this one, then they are exactly the kind of people who should be watching this show and making suggestions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, their suggestion was introduce the doctor earlier, and it made sense to introduce the doctor earlier. So yep. good on Disney. And those are words I didn't think I'd ever say, but good on Disney. Good on Disney. And if it makes the show more uh, explicable and popular with kind of non-specialist audiences, mm-hmm. then I'm definitely in favor of that. Um, uh, you know, there's no point in Doctor Who being made for me. Uh, it needs to be made for more more than people like me. And it also needs to be more international as well. It, you know, it's, it's a, you know, it should be a flagship show on Disney Plus. 
Therefore, it needs to be orientated towards an international audience. Mm-hmm. Not that you know it needs to have I don't know like you know American things in it, right? But it just needs to be more careful about how it presents itself and how it explains itself. And I think this was a mm-hmm. really good example. Well, I think on that bent, we have a couple, at least a couple soap actors with Angela Winter, who played Cherry, Cherry Sunday, and um, uh, Anita, Anita Dobson. Dobson, yeah, who was Mrs. Flood. Angie from the LV. Yeah, so both of them were um, on EastEnders. Indeed. Uh, so it kind of exposes RTD's soap background soap. and uh, writing for soaps. And, right. and he really, he also really is good at the, the, that um, giving everybody a bit of business to do narrative shorthands for defining characters. Just, I think every scene that Angela Winter was in this Cherry Sunday, she kind of stole the scene. Yes. Even when she was paired against Shooty, who has the, that uh, charisma that draws the audience in. But just to her reaction to. Uh, Sh- Shooty was priceless, and then with Michelle Greenidge, who played uh, Ruby's mom, and right. just the contrast between how Carla was with Ruby in her life, and then when Ruby wasn't in her life, right. just that 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 dramatic change. Very good actress, obviously, to be able to pull that off. And I think she was in It's a Sin, so mm-hmm. he's kind of it's kind of like the old days where uh, uh, the director would have rep his company. or her uh, rep company. Right. And then sort of like, you know, we had uh, Neil Patrick Harris last uh, last show, which was in, he was in It's right. a Sin. And now we have Michelle Greenidge. And so he, it's, you kind of see RTD bringing in people he's worked with that he knows that he can get the performances that he wants. Which is entirely sensible. I mean, why not have people that you know and like and, and you, you know already get on with you? And you know already can produce the kind of performances that you want. It makes makes a huge amount of sense to me. Mm-hmm. Um, little bit of trivia alert that I'm trivia that I'm just going to throw in. Um, Anita Dobson is the wife of Brian May. Really? Yeah, from Out of Queen. Huh. I think he's I think he's Sir Brian May at this point. In fact, yeah. Wow. Which always used to be funny because if you um, Anita Dobson and Brian May used to have exactly the same hair. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, I think Anita Dobson's hair has calmed down um, since uh, since those since, since the eighties or when she since was the in 80s, EastEnders. I think Sir Brian Maid still has giant great big hair. Anyway, um, uh, let's move on. <laughs> so, as an American viewer, I have really no experience with Davina McCall. Is she a big yeah. of a thing? As yeah, she's a big thing. Okay, it's sort of like I, she, I mean, she so she started out on the original Big Brother. Um, she was the kind of presenter of Big Brother when it started out, you know, like decades ago. Mm-hmm. I think she has a show where they do genetic testing and find out who your relatives are. Yeah. So it, it kind of dovetails into that. But no, she's she, she's a big deal. Um, She was in a uh, and she has form in being in sci fi slash fantasy slash slash horror shows as herself. Mm. Um, She was in a great zombie spoiler alert zombie show called dead set um okay which was broadcast i think early 2000s written by charlie brooker which is about a zombie breakout but it was also on a big brother set um and it's actually check it out it's actually a really really great zombie show dead set uh it's called um so yeah so davina mccall's a thing definitely mm-hmm. a thing and again i think it's funny or interesting that whatever notes Disney gave to Russell, one of the notes wasn't, 
we don't know who Davina McCall is. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's nice that, um, you know, the show can have that UK celebrity input. And that doesn't really affect how people understand the show. I mean, it didn't really affect how you enjoyed it. Mm-mm. But for me, it's like, oh, it's Davina McCall. Oh, no, she's been killed by a falling Christmas tree. Oh, no, she's not <laughs> dead now. She's back to life again. Um, so, you know, it's... A, she it's all, saved her, yeah. She, yeah, exactly. He saved the day. He saved the day as usual. And yeah, and she's a she's a good... I mean, she's generally seen to be a good person. Mm-hmm. And she's, I think, an old friend of RTD too, because she... she was uh, she played a robotic or android of, of herself in Bad Wolf way back in uh right way back in the Eccleston era right right i mean she's very much a a a kind of reality tv personality and um but she's obviously got acting chops as well especially when she's when she's asked to play herself which uh, what she was and she, she was, did exactly. i mean it was just basically interview Interview Millie as Ruby as a as a foundling, which is a interesting <laughs> interesting word, and I could just see, I, I could almost see RTD watching the Timeless Children of Chibno and going, you know, if I ever get a hold of this program again, I could just see him laughing right. and like giggling that, yeah. and just uh, chuckling as he wrote this at his keyboard because this just seemed to be RTD having fun writing this script with I mean, just like the silly things that he introduced with the uh gloves and the mavity callback when they're on the rope ladder uh hanging below the goblin ship it just those types of things i you could just see rtd having fun with and he loves christmas and it's just it's sort of like fun yeah no it's key that he loves christmas i love the mavity thing i really hope that that joke's going to be just beaten to death like every episode <laughs> uh, which would really kind of amuse me um, that it's just kind of like we're just going to use this until everyone's sick of it it's the new bad wolf it's the new bad wolf um and actually another thought i mean of course i mean the foundling it's very dickensian hmm. which again of course is super christmasy you know the london foundling hospital and blah 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 all that kind of stuff so really really appropriate and yeah you, i i agree you know he's just basically having fun with this mm-hmm. um i like the gloves it's always kind of irritated me well, not all. Has it always? Yeah, I, I've always <laughs> find it kind of irritating um, where there's two instances in kind of, you know, New Who where, you know, Rose hanging on to the barrage balloon cable in Empty Child. In Empty Child, exactly. And then Clara and the Doctor climbing up a big rope into the TARDIS in mm-hmm. with the one with the snowman. You can't do that. <laughs> it's not physically possible unless you're, I don't know, like in the SAS or something. Mm-hmm. So, I know, the Doctor invents some gloves that allows him to do that. Let's actually, uh, you know, if the Doctor is going to do things like hang on to ropes, mm-hmm. let's invent a little, you know, an in-universe pseudoscientific explanation for how that can actually happen. I liked it. liked it very much. And I hope those gloves come back because I think they're cool. Mm-hmm. I would like a pair of those gloves. Those would be handy. They would be handy. Yeah, no I, pun intended. I'm, yeah i mean i'd even like them as merchandise i think those would be great merch i would wear those as as just gloves around the house yeah there you go yeah there you go especially if they work well especially if they did in fact in fact do that um which is allow you to basically do whatever you want well they could uh reverse mavity reverse mavity and you know i think they're a form of psychic paper you know they're okay how do we how do we get this to happen without it being really complicated? Okay, psychic paper gets us into things. Sonic screwdriver gets us in and out of things. Mm-hmm. Um, the Mavity gloves get us to hold on to things. Fantastic. Uh-huh. Job done. 
the scene with the pram, I think, is another thing where RTD was just chuckling. And to me, it's an in-joke for old Doctor Who fans who watched The Enemy of the World, where the scene where the pram is just going through where Astrid's flat is being raided by... Right. Uh, and then we just see a woman pushing a pram basically through the middle of a gunfight or a potential gunfight. gunfight. And it just sort of like the doctor goes, a pram at midnight? Seriously? And just I could just see him chuckling to himself writing these things. It's full of mirth. Yeah, it's, it's exactly. And it's full of little in-jokes for, you know, people like us. And it's a jolly episode. I mean, I, you know, it's built around goblins eating babies, but that's such a silly concept. That that isn't even, you know, if it had been, I don't know, let me, you know, if it had been the 456 again, um, mm-hmm. who used children right. as drugs. Right. This is the same. But, you know, whereas that Torchwood was just the, you know, one of the grimmest bits of television I think anyone's ever seen. Um, mm-hmm. I think possibly written after Russell lost his husband, right? I uh, don't know the exact that? timing. Anyway, um, but I mean, this is the same idea, yet it is kind of a jolly pantomime, you know, silly pantomime, villain. Yeah. Silly villain with a silly song and a big curtain and a reveal. And it's, yeah, it's, it's, I, I just, it just, it's, it seemed like a happy writer who is enjoying what he's doing. Um, mm-hmm. And that's what we need for the show. We need someone who is really invested in making this uh, something enjoyable for everybody, which I think he is. Enjoyable, I think, is a key word for this, and that's what that—that's what I've gotten from the past now four episodes of RTDs. Uh, is it's been enjoyable. I'm definitely not the target audience, but it's been enjoyable. It hasn't been just cringeworthy to sit through. It hasn't been this big info yeah. info dump of continuity where the master just tells me the history of how the showrunner is rewriting the story. It's it's action based. There's little bits of jokes, and th- I mean, it's just even small payoffs, like where how Carla and Ruby don't like the name Lulu Bell, and then the Doctor hears it immediately. So, oh, I love the name Lulu Bell. I wish I was called <laughs> Lulu Bell. It's just it's just small little things that I just can see RTD. Just, I mean, I, I'll say this again: chuckling as he writes it because right, right. they're obvious, but they're fun, and it's light, and it just moves things along, and it really defines. The doctor's character is full of love, full of life, happy, happy to be out doing stuff. And, you know, he's excited to be learning the language of ropes or the science of ropes or whatever techno babble physics he's slathering on it. I mean, it's a it's a science fantasy show and we're leaning heavily into the fantasy element with the celestial toy maker back. And now we have goblins. We are entering into this realm of fiction and who knows? We'll see the master of of the land of fiction later in the series as maybe the boss of the toy maker. Who knows? Yeah. Doctor Who has always been a fantasy show, really. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's science fantasy, and that's exactly what we were getting here. Yep. Not science fiction. I guess it's not straight fantasy. This isn't Labyrinth no. or Willow or anything like that. And it's it's a science fantasy, and it's what it's been, and I, you know, um, we love it for it. I really... Are, I'm interested to see what will happen when the shooty Doctor is confronted with something that... Um, is serious. I mean, I'm kind of excited to find out what will happen when there is something grim in the show. Yeah. Because, I'm, of course, there will be. And, uh, uh, you know, obviously I, I don't want this kind of joyful new doctor to become, you know, sad 
uh, immediately, but there will be some sadness at some point, and mm-hmm. I'm curious to see how that's handled. And I, you know, I loved Judy's performance. I think he's perfect. I loved his accent. I always thought it was a sort of a shame that that David Tennant had to lose his Scottish accent to play the Doctor. I'd have loved the Fourteenth Doctor to have a Scottish accent. I think that right. really would have placed him as a different Doctor from Ten. Right. But I right. mean, Shooty's mix of African and Scots makes his voice sound really alien and different and special. Um, uh, and I really, I, I like that. Uh, I, I, I've not seen it. I mean, I, I'm. Not a huge fan of sex education. I kind of struggled to watch the first episode and decided I didn't want to watch any more mm-hmm. of it. Um, I don't know. I'm sorry. I, I haven't really seen his performance in, in, in other things. But this was this was perfect. He's just an exciting actor to watch, an exciting performance, um, a new voice. And, yeah, you know, yes, uh, looking forward to it, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, again, it was sort of like, bring on May. May can't come here soon enough. I want to have <laughs> my weekly new Doctor Who fix because Shudi is vibrant as the Doctor and he is engaging with his portrayal of this character that we've loved, you know, grown to love with over the past 60 years. So yeah, yeah. bring it on. I think probably the, the hardest part for me with the story was... Uh, the impossible girl vibe I was getting for Ruby with Millie Gibson's character, uh, just perhaps a little too perfect of a companion, or I just, uh, I, I don't know. It, oh, interesting. Okay. The doctor has, has, has his type, I guess, or has their type. And Millie Gibson definitely fits that profile. Yep, like so spawns. Yep. I'm yeah. convinced by the doctor. I'm not as convinced by <laughs> <laughs> Miller Gibson as uh, Ruby Sunday. Really? So you 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 would have you'd have liked a, a companion to be slightly more differentiated from other companions. I mean, I think um, which I've obviously you know the Rose from the Star Beast would have fitted that beautifully. Um, I, I I I I mean, I get what you're saying. In some ways, as excellent an actor as Billy Gibson obviously is, the character Ruby Sunday as a you know as a um, feisty young blonde woman from London is a little bit Rose Tyler. Um, yeah, I guess what's and bothering is probably the wrong word. But what what I find repetitious is maybe lose the impossible mystery of a companion. It would it would I think it would have just been maybe it's not dramatic. Maybe you know I RTD has the story he's going to tell with Ruby, but it seemed more impossible girl to me and of course the impossible girl clara had her father and mother that the matt smith doctor went back and watched whatever so it's to me it's like amy pond as the mystery clara as the mystery it would be nice to just have a companion that just a normal regular person didn't have to have the mystery and that's why the doctor is interested in them right no i i i i i you know i understand that 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 makes sense to me i mean i think the plus here for me is that my dissatisfaction with clara particularly who i just couldn't stand by the Mm -hmm. end i was so glad when she got stabbed by a raven or whatever happened to her (laughs) um hooray she's gone she was a real adric for me and and amy pond i mean i think Part of that really is the issues that I had with Moffat's writing, where he, he, as I was saying before, he has this huge setup and then really can't untangle it because he hasn't worked. He 
he has he basically he's a I'll explain later kind of writer um, and sometimes mm-hmm. he just can't explain I feel RTD is better at that so yes I mean I I get what you're saying that it's you know it, it would be great to have a companion who's just literally a regular person mm-hmm. but if we do have a companion who's got a big mystery I'm confident that that mystery when it pays off will be a, an interesting and satisfying one so the mystery is different because we're in different uh, showrunners' hands because the previous companions that RTD has introduced, Rose, Martha, and Donna, all had a very solid, non-fantastical background. So since this season seems, at least from the indication of having a cartoon villain with the Star Beast, with the Meep, having the toy maker back and now having goblins it does seem like rtd is leaning into the fantasy element so having a foundling mirroring mirroring the doctor being a foundling and even this just the use of the word foundling lends itself more towards fantasy this is a theme that i think rtd is trying to lean into for this season's uh, overarching right. Right. thematic theme of yeah, yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. And, you know, bring it on. Curious to see how it all turns out. I mean, as you were saying, mm-hmm. you know, this is excited for when we have the full run of episodes in May. Mm-hmm. So the goblins. Goblins. What did you make of the goblins? I really like the goblins. Um, oh, okay. I like, I, yeah, I, uh, I mean, they're gremlins, basically. Is yeah. What they, I mean, gremlins in the traditional sense, not gremlins in the sense of the movie mm-hmm. gremlins in that they are the creatures that are behind bad luck things that happen, Mm -hmm. or they can be. You know, they are a fantasy creature. They are time adjacent. They're in between things. Mm -hmm. I like that. Um, I think they were very well realized. They were very convincing, even though they were, you know, full-size actors who then, through the magic of CGI, are shrunk down to goblin size. Mm -hmm. And I like that they had a a pseudo-scientific explanation for themselves i'd like the language of ropes mm-hmm. um i think that's an inter- interesting piece of fantasy science that kind of worked really well for me and i think it was an interesting quick puzzle for the doctor to to you know metaphorically and actually mm-hmm. unpick and <laughs> i i mean i i thought they were very satisfying um the disappointment with the goblins to me was the goblin king hmm. which it was a uh, very much, I felt it was a pantomime. Um, yeah. You know, there's a curtain that's pulled back and behind the curtain is like, ah, it's the King Rat in Dick Whittington or, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. If the goblins are so ecstatic that they found a baby that they can eat that will keep them satisfied for a couple of weeks, um, well, that's not going to happen because they're feeding it to a king. So, and also the baby's quite small. How are they going to carve it up so it feeds them all? I mean, that kind of stuff, that kind of bugged hmm. me a little hmm. bit. It's like, okay... The actual practicalities of consuming babies didn't make a huge amount of sense to me in the end. And, and, and again, I think the Goblin King was more to do with the song, um, which I liked, incidentally, um, oh, okay. <laughs> than an actual kind of practical supervillain final boss thing. I like mm. the I, I like the stabbing by the church. The church steeple. Um, yeah, the impaling. V- very uh, state of decay. Very state of decay. <laughs> um, uh, very hot fuzz, actually. Um, someone gets stabbed mm. by a by a bit of church in in that movie. Um, so yeah, no, I I I all. I mean, I've been humming the Goblin song all the all the way through Christmas. <laughs> um, I thought it's a great Christmas song. Really enjoyed it. Okay. Uh, Goblin King. I didn't have a problem with. I guess I, it just seemed. Oh, you liked the Goblin I, King. Okay. I, 
it seemed like it light light is too strong a word maybe but well, anyway, it, yes. it, i didn't i didn't object to it it seemed to be very obvious and it, uh, yes agreed 100 percent. it's pantomime but this is christmas and that's what this exactly called for is the big pantomime monster at the end uh the logistics between the song and the feast and whatever the, it's all fantasy and who knows what sustains goblins goblins and as we saw, once the Goblin King was impaled on the church steeple, the whole ship disappears in the only non-fantastical element, which may be a clue to um, Ruby plummets and is caught by the doctor magically holding his <laughs> anti-mavity gloves. So it, uh, it all ties together. And it, I think up until this point, the most, most pantomime, a Christmas story or Christmas adjacent story is the Horns of Nymon. This, I think, surpasses right. um, that and pan- the pantomime feel, and it does it in a better way. You And you do, in pantomime, have your cast breaking out in song and having a little uh, sing in the middle of the story. And we did speculate, I, I don't know how many months ago, if uh, Shooty can sing. And turns out, yeah, he can, he can, he can make his go. way through a song. Yeah, yeah. I <laughs> yeah. mean, the, the only thing that was missing that if the, the Goblin King had appeared behind them, that would have been perfect. But I guess that would have been too too much on the nose. Traditional in pantomime is the audience shouts behind you when the villain uh-huh. is creeping up behind the hero. But anyway, that would have been, <laughs> that would have been very, very pantomime. Um, yeah, you know, and again, I think when online people complain about goblins, previous... Christmas specials, as I said, we've had killer Christmas trees and robot Santas and we've had flying sharks. You know, we're starting off with a Christian special. Mm-hmm. So we're starting off with, I was going to say gloves off, but maybe it's, you know, anti-mavity gloves on. Mm-hmm. And we're going full throttle into silliness. And as I said, that totally works for me. And I think that sets up a lot of curiosity in my kind of, you know, dramatic curiosity meter. Um, what happens when we lose the silliness and some... And some grim drama comes in, as will happen. Mm-hmm. And I think we'll, there's going to be a lot of interesting contrasts um, coming up in May. Has there been any announcement for how long this uh, series is? How many episodes is it? Is it? I think eight more stories coming for 2024. Yeah, yeah, I think it's eight, which is pretty standard. Um, Loki is six. Okay, we've just finished watching. Um, uh, slow horses that's six episodes i think you know between six and eight episodes is pretty much standard for high budget streaming shows so uh yeah we're also watching fargo that's eight episodes mm-hmm. um so yeah you know i think again on online i've seen complaints about why aren't we getting more episodes if they got more money well this is the number of episodes that people do now mm-hmm. and that's fine by me eight's great mm-hmm. and thinking about how this fits within disney plus because that's the carrier for the world outside of the bbc in the uk it seems to be very distinctive from the other uh offerings the main tentpole stories or uh, franchises that disney is doing because you have the the space opera which is star wars and then you have whatever marvel is uh, something that's <laughs> a thing i don't know well i don't know i don't know it's continuity heavy Super. comic book stuff yeah I, that, yeah that's exactly what it is yep so the Doctor Who under RTD leaning into fantasy, I, I mean, it's always been there. You, I mean, you have an adipose there, which are kind of a of fantasy creature. And the Slovene are kind of 
cartoony. So he, it's it's not any it's not a heavy lift, I think, for RTD in not any, different at all, any no. way, shape, or form. I wouldn't mind seeing the goblins back in uh, some format too. I, I mean, if he's following the Chimnal blueprint, they are going to be the big bad in the final final episode. Here's, here's an idea: this <laughs> goblin finds its way into the TARDIS, and we have a goblin companion. Well, that would be actually that'd be pretty interesting because yeah. wa- watching Doctor Who Unleashed, the makeup on or the costume makeup that, that, that took four hours to get into costume, true. which isn't really practical for a companion. That's but, true. Uh, very, very convincing uh, uh, makeup job and costuming job for the goblins. Convincing goblins, yeah, that's 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 it's uh, that's absolutely mm-hmm. key. Yeah, but if they can do makeup that well for goblins, they can do makeup that well for Frobisher. So bring on <laughs> the talking penguin. Talking penguins. Let's have a talking penguin, a shape shifting talking penguin. Shooty doctor and Frobisher, here we come. A CGI penguin, not hard to do, and definitely, I I would be in favor of that. Yeah, it fits too within the land of fiction. Exactly, exactly. And you know, this kind of fantastical bent that we're seeing with this new, uh, with the RTD2 era, I, I think is just entirely appropriate and exciting and interesting. And um, as you were saying, you know, it fits with, it fits with Doctor Who. It's, it's not a break. It's a continuity of a particular way that the show has been over the years. And I'm all in favor of it. Moffat had his, uh, fairy tales and now rtd is having his fantasy yeah exactly exactly yeah 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 uh the breaking the fourth wall with mrs flood at the end uh my thought or uh, one of my thoughts was well could mrs flood be ruby's mom is does does the age work out 19 years ago it seemed like a very young woman walking away so perhaps not i'm just wondering how Mrs. Flood knows Ruby on that level, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that's a possibility. I mean, I think it'd be weird to have your mum living next door for that not to be something. I mean, there's, I mean, yes, that she could be um, Ruby's mother, um, but there's got to be something else going on as well. Because mm-hmm. how does this woman? Why is this woman next door to her own daughter? but not having a relationship with their daughter. There's, I think there's obviously, and the fact that Mrs. Flood can break the fourth wall mm-hmm. and the fact that Mrs. Flood knows what a TARDIS looks like, there is there is something going on there. Again, reading online, no flood, pond, river. <laughs> Maybe it's a re, she's a regenerated river song. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, she gave a little evil smirk, so maybe she's evil, but she seems like a nice person. Um, so maybe mm. she's not evil. Um, who it's, knows? It's the Ronnie. Yeah, God, that whole like, whoa, it's the Ronnie. It's like, what? <laughs> the Ronnie wasn't any good. Uh, so why bring the Ronnie back? Maybe Mrs. Flood is the master. Maybe it's a regenerated Missy of some kind. Hmm. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah, Ooh. that. Hmm. Could be. She didn't come across as a nice person at the beginning. It wasn't until she saw the doctor did she kind of soften because she was kind of a mean person at the beginning mean old lady yes well at least at least to her neighbor abdul i mean abdul could be a jerk so you know yeah i suppose he he, he, he could deserve meanness abdul um (laughs) i don't know it's it's you know this is a good mystery i did like the fourth wall breaking um (laughs) as again as we know that's got you know the doctor was has broken the fourth wall before Mm-hmm. particularly at Christmas. <laughs> and um, Mrs. Flood can break the fourth wall as well. 
And I like that kind of like, you haven't seen a TARDIS before? I, I love that kind of like, you need to go and watch the rest of the show, right. which is on iPlayer or Disney Plus and mm-hmm. work. And, you know, if you don't know what a TARDIS is, you need to go and find out. And I, I really, catch up. really, really like, yeah, go and catch up with this show. You've got a couple of months before, you know, more than a couple of months. You've got, you know, uh, three or four months now to catch up on everything. We'll be ready for mm-hmm. you come May. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. It was good. All in all, very satisfying piece of uh, drama. Interested in really the Sunday family, uh, interested in the mystery behind Mrs. Flood, the doctor, Shudy Gatwork is perfect. No complaints there. I think let's find out how the story unfolds. This is interesting. This is, this has a lot of potential and it's really nice to see RTD back. Yeah, and actually, sorry, I'm meandering in my head there for a second. I mean, I think, mm-hmm. you know, the whole kind of it's on Disney Plus and how it fits into Disney Plus. As we said, you know, Disney Plus has got the superhero fantasy. It's got the whole Star Wars universe. Um, it's got animation. You know, they have all the Simpsons on Disney Plus. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was fun that, that it seems like that the Doctor is going to meet the Beatles um, in an episode coming up. If we mm-hmm. saw the next time trailer, of course, Disney Plus is the home of the six hour Beatles. Um, oh, it's true. Yeah. Uh, documentary. So entirely appropriate. Um that you know maybe you know Doctor Who is kind of dovetail itself into other aspects of Disney Plus. So hmm. um yeah, I mean good stuff. Yeah. Well we we, we shall see. I haven't seen the trailer. That must be on oh, YouTube. Oh, sorry, spoiler no. alert. Yeah. Um <laughs> it's uh it's it's it was on um it is on YouTube. Yeah. It we wasn't on Confidential showed us kind of monsters, but no, I mean you should go and look at the trailer. It's it's on YouTube. Okay. I mean if you, if you want to, if I've already spoiled some of it for you, um, <laughs> but it does it does look like the Doctors are going to meet the Beatles, and it seems like the Tractators might be back, but I doubt it. <laughs> uh, oh my gosh, really? I know. I was really super excited. There's some like slug things. They're like, wow, it's Tractators. I mean you, I mean you, you can't tell. And I'm sure they aren't the Tractators, but it would fit with Mavity. It would. They have to be Tractators if it's Mavity. I'm going to say. I'm going to say it is Tractators. You're calling it now. I'm calling. I'm calling Tractators right now. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Spoilers um, for people who've not seen the trailers. But those are the two. The, the two takeaways I got from the the trailers. All right. Well. Well. I think that's it. I think that's all. Are we, we going to just address a slight moment of sadness with Richard Franklin going? Ah, uh, yes, Mike Yates. Uh, probably our first companion that's really had uh, a big arc, I guess, around him. The first arc, arc, this is nice one, exactly, yes. Yeah. Um, the first of what you might say of a, a contemporary companion. Character um, arc, yeah. And, um, exactly, yeah. Kind of a fall from fall from grace and a, a chance of uh, redemption. Redemption, exactly, yeah. yeah. And I, I didn't realize that he was in Rogue One as well as an actor. You don't live and breathe Star Wars? I don't live and breathe Star Wars. I hadn't realized that Mike Yates was... You know, he, actually, no, he wasn't Mike Yates in Rogue One. That would have been cool. Um, <laughs> presumably, he was some kind of Im- evil imperial person. Well, but, yeah, no doubt. On him. Yeah. I mean, he's, I, I never met Richard Franklin. He seemed like a nice guy. I think I've got his signature on some stuff. And um, it, there seems a general, genuine, genuine kind of outpouring of sadness that he's... You know, I think he's been ill for a while. He's been in a home, mm-hmm. retirement home. I picked that up from, you know, following Katie Manning on Twitter. And, um, yeah, you know, goodbye, Mike Gates. You were you were very... I remember being so enthused by that character art and so excited by it as a kid. 
um, mm-hmm. and being interested that he was a he was a character who had different things happen to them, mm-hmm. and that was kind of extraordinary actually for for that kind of show at that kind of time. And yeah. Franklin handled that well, you know the the betrayal, the reveal of him as a traitor in Dinosaur Invasion was just mind blowing for me, absolutely mind blowing as mm-hmm. a kid. So yeah, always always had a yeah. had a special uh, part in my Doctor Who memory for uh, for Richard Franklin. Yep, and uh, again, excellent with coming back in Planet of the Spiders with uh, yeah, the whole perfect. whole uh, trying to not directly get Unit involved, but going through Sarah Jane. Yeah, no, perfect. Yep, yep, yep. yep. Excellent. Yep. Anyway, there you go. Another another 1970s friend of the Doctor uh, passes into the great beyond. The great beyond. Wild blue yonder. The wild blue <laughs> to the wild blue yonder. Yeah, goodbye, Mike. Right. right, that is that. That is definitely it then. <clears throat> All right. Well, thank you for listening to episode 239 of the Benabilis 2 podcast. I have been speculating on who Mrs. Flood is with Ben. And I've been singing along with the goblins, with David. <laughs> goblins. All right. Until, until May. Well, I guess we'll be back before yeah, May. Yeah, we'll, but, we'll uh... be back before May, probably. <laughs> um, but yeah. Okay, uh, we will... Uh, speak again soon. All right. In 2024. Uh, exactly. Right. Okay. Bye. We got a baby we can feast. We can die three days at least. Baby blood and baby bones. Baby butter for the baby scones. Little baby feet, little baby toes. Every one of us wants the nose. Baby's had such very bad luck. Now into baby, we will talk. Eat the baby, add some salt. Bailey's barley powdered malt. No baby salt says she's a treat. Her destiny is time to meet.